0: Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 187. This week we talk with John Vinsel about the awesome new installer technology called MSIX, how learning to code can save millions, and everyone is reading your email. Who knew it was so interesting?
1: Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at Raygun.com.
0: This week we have John Vinsel. He's a program manager lead in the developer platform division. His main focus is heading up the effort in enterprise apps and more importantly, MSIX. How's it going, John?
2: Pretty good. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on. So Carl, uh, what's going on with that conference? It's coming up, huh? Yeah, it's
1: I think exactly one month away as we're recording. Mm -hmm. And uh, we want to remind you, if you have not bought a ticket yet, go buy a ticket. If you're on the fence, buy a ticket anyways. Uh, We'd love to meet you there. And uh, I I know that we're planning uh, some recordings with people, uh, and we do it live right in front of everybody. So if you want to see how we work uh, and what we all do, um,
0: come stop and talk to us. Yeah, unless we're in the middle of recording an episode, <laughs> we have had we have had like one or two of those where like somebody comes over and they're like staring at us, at us oddly, you know, not understanding that we're like recording. But uh, but that was okay. Um, actually, so uh, the, yeah, year ahead, there, the, yeah. the year that you weren't there, the, uh, the year that you
1: weren't there, uh, Jerry Nixon and I were in the middle of recording and he started talking to people that were, uh, <laughs> uh yeah, watching I us. So. That.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that's cool though. That's cool though. Um, yeah, we should just embrace it. That's a good point. Uh, Jerry's awesome. Okay. So what do we got for the comment of the week? Uh comment of the week came off of
1: Twitter from Mike Depau or at spotted man on, uh, for his Twitter handle, he says, Hi, MS Dev Show. How do I get one of those hoodies that you guys mentioned? Thanks. Uh, at Build, for people who don't know, uh, we were there at the podcast booth and we uh, had uh, given some uh, vague uh, instructions to uh, get some swag, and that swag ended up being embroidered hoodies. Um, like, uh, Jason replied to him, you know, these, these hoodies, they're actually pretty pricey. They cost us, uh, uh more than Jason likes to spend.
0: And, let's put it this way. If you have a, if you had a hundred dollars and wanted to buy these, you, you, you would get two. <laughs> that, that, should be <laughs> That's a good, a good way to put it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, we do have all sorts of kind of swag that we make throughout the year and, all of it, we think, is good quality because we don't like uh, getting stuff that we don't want to use. Right. And we, we treat our listeners the same. So we're only going to make good stuff. But because that means we're limited on how we can give it away. And especially for something that's like a wearable, like a hoodie, it makes that even harder for us to give away. We ch- We tend to do that in person at conferences, which is another reason why you should come see us at that conference. Not saying you'll get a hoodie, but there's a chance.
0: Yeah, it was really it was really crazy at build because you handed out a couple, and man, the vultures they just like they just attacked. Uh, We got surrounded. People can smell swag. Yeah, how do we get one of those hoodies? (laughs) And i I was pretty rude about it. So if 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 that was a, I don't think that was a listener, but I was like, "Uh, you don't (laughs) something like that. You know, I I I realize in hindsight that was probably a rude comment, but um, yeah, like you said, they're they're expensive, and and we. We, uh, we we are very stingy with with those hoodies, but we do have lots of other swag. We have cups, and we have um. We I know mugs. we have a couple of mugs left, and we have lots of stickers and things like that. And I, I will we'll have you know more swag for that conference. So, uh, but so if get you something. are
1: a listener, we if you are a listener, we do want to give you something. We do want to give you something you want to use. Yep. And if you want to get mentioned on the show, send us an email to feedback at msfshow
0: com. Comment on Facebook, YouTube, or Stitcher, and we really like those five star iTunes reviews. Awesome. Okay, let's jump in the news. So the first one here, you have to you have to break this one down for me, Carl, because I'm I have a big question on this one. It's uh, Google admits third party devs can access your Gmail messages.
1: Yeah. So Gmail had gotten quite a bit of uh, you know notoriety over the years for giving you ads that are targeted towards things that are in your email messages. So when you'd click on a, on an email message, uh, like if somebody was talking about like getting new shoes, there might be an ad for like Reebok or Nike or one of the other shoe places. And they had done that by automatically scanning your email and kind of giving you some targeted results. Um, after receiving quite a bit of, um, flack for that, uh, they had,
0: Turn that off. Um, oh, I didn't even realize that. It, I actually didn't mind yeah. that. I don't mind a computer reading my email personally. No. And that's, and that's where there was like uh,
1: uh, Microsoft had the Scroogled campaign that was like making a big deal like, you know, we don't read your emails. I mean, it, uh, you know, I highly doubt anybody was actually sitting
0: reading anybody's emails. It was all part of automated systems. Actually, there was, there was a recent news story about that that says that there are humans actually reading some of them. I'll have to find well, that I'm one sure. and I'll put it. I'll put it into the into the show notes so that that does happen. Uh, I think probably for for like de, you know for like uh, testing and development of the service.
1: Yeah, but anyways, Google has stopped you know those kinds of things, but it has come out that uh, people that are integrating with Gmail uh, and providing services on top of it um, actually can get access to your email messages. Mm-hmm and read the contents of what's in your email message. So that's something that has uh, definitely uh, thrown some people's uh, privacy radar up a little bit uh, because most people don't want their emails read in any way, shape, or form.
0: But here, here's what I didn't understand is the, the article was talking about these, uh, essentially, let's call them extensions or like you're a third-party developer. They, the The user was actually, my understanding was granting access to the email, like I would expect I would expect the third party to read my email if I gave them permission to do so am i am I understanding that wrong? uh that's what it looks like in here mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time,
1: I don't think that those those escalation prompts are uh, clear enough to end users to make them fully understand uh exactly what they're doing
0: okay. So here, here's the... I, I'll paste the other article in here. There's an article by the BBC. It says, Google has confirmed that private emails sent and received by Gmail users can sometimes be read by third-party app developers, not just machines. So this is the one I was talking about here. So people who have connected third-party apps to their accounts may have unwittingly given human staff permission to read their messages. Um, and it says uh, the practice was common and a dirty secret. Um, and one security expert said it was surprising that Google allowed it, but Again like whenever you th- this uh, here here's the here's the takeaway I think whenever you are using a service and it has functionality that you know extends that service whatever it is and whoever the company is doing it um, even if you know just because we're a Microsoft related show if it is your Microsoft email and you are granting permission for a third party service to read your email, you should assume that they are reading your email um, you know and and I think that you know, companies trust, uh, um, or I should say, uh, users tend to trust, or at least I do. Companies like Microsoft, and I would even put, well, I don't know about Google, but <laughs> let's say, let's say uh, Microsoft and Apple, I, I, will, I will trust them for the most part, uh, you know, directly. But whenever you're giving it to a third party, you know, that third party, like you, you have to build up. That's a whole nother, you know, kind of trust contract that you have to build up in your mind. Um, so I just, just watch. I would watch out for that. And I'll paste that other article that I found with the the BBC. I'll post that into the uh the show notes so that everybody can take a look at that one as well. So, excellent. Yeah, so just be careful out there people. Um, And then this next one, this next news article, Juggalos figured out how to beat facial recognition. So I didn't even know what a Juggalo was. Like I sort of like recognize it. Um, So yeah, I'll explain. What a Juggalo is.
1: (laughs) So there's a rap group that I think has been around for, you know, like 20 years called the Insane Clown Posse. And part of what they do is they dress up uh, with this face uh, specific style of face painting that looks kind of clownish. And it's uh, black and white. Uh, Paint mostly. And a lot of people, as they attend uh, uh, this um, Insane Clown Posse, they're called Juggalos. Mm -hmm. And uh, they often dress up in this face paint as well. And what's interesting is the style in which the face paint goes on actually confuses uh, machine learning that's trying to detect faces. Mm -hmm. Uh, What essentially is going on is when uh, the face paint is put on, there's generally black uh, paint that goes in between your mouth and your chin. Mm-hmm. And this paint uh, in the eye of a, a, a machine learning computer, it mistakes that black uh, paint for a jawline that's in a non-standard spot. So if you have a picture of yourself with and without this, this paint on, it actually l- thinks that your jaw is in a different position and will say that these are two totally different people. Now, this only works with visual cameras. If you have like a depth sensing camera, that's not going to confuse it. But uh, for just visual video and uh, screenshots, at uh, still images that are taken, um, this style of, of face paint is enough to um, confuse these techniques and make it think that you're a different person.
0: Yeah, I mean the the algorithms, right? Are looking for edges of things. They're looking for certain patterns and certain signals, and that's just messing with those signals. I think um, another way to do this, if you literally like printed out a picture of a face and then put it, uh, you know, like on your cheek or something, like the computer's gonna be like, wait a second, there's like a face in front of a face. Like this must be a person in front of somebody else. Like there's probably a lot of different ways to do this, but um, I thought this was just interesting because it was such a simple way uh, to to really throw up those algorithms. So. When you are training a computer or you're teaching a computer how to identify faces, it is it is it's trying to come up with like these shortcuts and and these edges of things are really shortcut. And I thought this was interesting because this was such a simple way to really throw off yeah. that algorithm and really show the weakness of it.
1: And they also compared it to other, like, stylistic makeup. So, like, if you're just, like, a a normal person putting on regular makeup, it's not going to make a difference. But they also compared it to people that are doing, like, corpse style or, like, zombie-like makeup. Like, that doesn't even confuse these algorithms because it's not really changing your features enough. Whereas this is putting it in just the right spot to actually uh, have these uh, computer algorithms misidentify your features.
0: Mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting yep and then the last one here the u.s air force learned to code and save the pentagon millions yeah so this is a pretty lengthy
1: story i'm gonna try to cut it short but uh, uh a few years ago eric schmidt he was uh who's uh at one time was ceo of google uh was helping out the department of defense trying to figure out how that they could improve their software and he was uh in the Middle East, watching these Air Force refueling stations trying to figure out like how they should refuel their planes for the day. And even though they had computer software at their disposal, they were sitting there using like whiteboards and magnets and moving things around. And then they had people like hand type things into Excel. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, to cut it short, he's like, well, why are we using it that it like this? And the crux of the problem was there was software that was written in the 90s like early 90s and because there's so much that goes on in the software acquisition process where you have to bid it out and you know you know have that happen wait years and oh. if if the specs were wrong or have changed it, it's too late and he's and he said hey we should have figure a way to do this a lot faster and so what had happened was they they just happened to find some air force people who could code these they nef- not necessarily were even necessarily trained in uh, software development and they were able to kind of like cut through some of the rules and be more agile and just for this one piece it's not we're not even talking about like the rest of the software that the air force runs on but just this one piece they were able to carve out and recreate it digitally and turn what used to take uh, like six people a full day to do just to calculate how to refuel. It took like two or three people, two hours to do. Mm -hmm. And just in the, in the process of it being rolled out after one week, it repaid the $2.2 million that took to develop this software with um, these airmen and who were uh, pair programming with actual contractors. So, it's it's interesting i i would say if you're if you think this is kind of an interesting uh story read the the link in the show notes for more detail because it's pretty detailed on like how much red tape there is in the government and in the military and how that red tape is actually antithetical to our current agile software development processes and by in, including agile development how we can really cut down the time it takes for um, software to be made just kind of like proves out that what we're doing is actually a good style of software development.
0: Yeah. It seems like first of all, they need to be introduced to power apps. Uh, I'd be kind of curious if something like that would, would work. And if not, then, you know, those requirements should make their way back to the product group. Cause I think that would be a great case study. And then the, the second part of this, I think the, the lesson is that, Learning to code by itself, I don't think is that useful. And, um, you know, doing, you know, there, there's, there's all these real world things that I, that are, that that could benefit from this coding. So I think the most, some of the most valuable people are the ones, the the most valuable people are the ones that can do coding and have that domain specific expertise. So I think this is a great example of that. Okay. So let's move on. So let's talk to John. So John, um... I guess the first big question is like, what is MSIX, and uh, and and like, what is what is the need for for MSIX?
2: Oh, great question. So MSIX is uh, it's pretty interesting because I get asked this all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, MSIX is really just an evolution of our existing installer technologies. So over the past couple of years, uh, me and folks on my team have been sitting there talking to both developers and enterprise customers alike, trying to figure out like what's going good and what's going bad in the space of, you know, building packages and deploying and updating apps. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, anyone that's used a bunch of the Microsoft technologies is we have a smorgasbord, right? We have yeah. MSI, we have click once, there's app V. Some people don't even have their own installer. They just write their own custom scripts And each one's great in its own way. And each one kind of has problems in its own way. Um, so as we looked at like the scope of all those types of things, uh, MSI-X is really the evolution of all those installer techs into a common installer. So learning from these great types of things and building a common, easy-to-use platform uh, that really makes deployment easy. Now, that's kind of a cool, great marketing headline, but what are what really is it? Um, it's really a declarative packaging and deployment install. Um, if you look at like things like MSI... You know, MSI, you're writing custom actions. Um, it's deploying files all over the operating system. Some of the files that may never get cleaned up when you go and uninstall. Um, with MSIX and the way we've kind of restructured the deployment tech is we can, you know, guarantee an easy and efficient install um, and a uh, 100% guarantee a clean uninstall. So, you know, it's pretty much a better installer all around for, um, you know, getting apps on devices.
1: So... You know, I, I think that's kind of interesting. That just even that last piece that you said, where you can guarantee a clean uninstall now. So, what about MSIX is That is it that gives you these capabilities like this that you didn't have before?
2: Yeah. So uh, what we did is we we leveraged uh, you know some of the great of uh, parts of like the Windows 10 operating system, and we basically virtualize the registry and the file system when we go and install an app. So once you go in, uh, you know, we do the installation, we're actually tracking uh, the regs change through a virtual registry. Um, and, and the thing about that is not only does it give you the ability to do a clean uninstall because we're able to just remove that entire virtual registry out from under you, um, it also is not rotting away the performance on your PC. Uh, if we look at some installers, there's installers that literally write up to a half a million registry keys in HKLM. Um, and you know what? That's what we generally told people to do in the past. Just you know, write write stuff to the OS, and it'll be there when you need it. Mm-hmm. What happens though is over time, the more registry keys you write to HKLM, all those keys are loaded every time your PC boots. Um, so I, I always use this cool example to just illustrate how bad the problem can get. Is um, you know, I'll, I'll use the numbers that are small. If I have a device and I install five MSIs on it, when I boot that PC up later. It's just going to be slower when I have a device or install five MSIXs on it. And I boot that PC up because all those HKLMs are in a virtual registry and they're only loaded when the app's running your performance of your boot times unaffected. When I go and take those five MSI's off that original box, it's not a clean guaranteed uninstall. So you're not even back to the original performance of the boot time of your box. When I go and yank those five MSI X's off that box, it's a clean uninstall and my PC is staying, uh, you know, fast and running smoothly.
0: That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. And, and and let's be honest too, like as a developer, like you don't care about the uninstall, right? You don't, you don't care, you don't care about your non-users. You care about your users. So like, you know, I, I and I'm, I, I know that sounds really bad, but like as a, as a single developer, like that's, that's what happens, right? They, they cared about getting the prog- product installed correctly. Having, having their uninstaller work perfectly is not really a feature of their software. That's just, you know, a penalty for for the user. So this is really interesting. And I, I haven't heard about this like virtual registry before. So I, I don't know if you want to talk about that a little more. Like, is that new with MSIX or is that something that MSIX is taking advantage of?
2: Uh, it's actually part of uh, some of the Windows containerization oh, that's okay. on the operating system. So we're just plugging into, uh, I think you know, they uh, they called it uh, Helium Container, was their code name for it. Okay. Uh, but it's just leveraging one of the built in Windows containers. So we're able to just plug into core parts of the Windows 10 operating system and then go in uh, and build and leverage that. So just nothing new on the tech front, at least from our side. We didn't go create a new uh, mousetrap. Uh, we're actually building on top of some other stuff that we're already using in Windows.
0: Okay. That's very cool.
1: All right, so using MSIX, what kind of applications can I deploy with this? Is it just like the new, latest, and greatest cool stuff?
2: Uh, No, so you can actually go and – you know. so um, first off, we're going to – if you have an existing installer, we're going to create some tools to kind of help you along the path. So you can take your existing installer and you can go and update it um, and convert it over to the MSIX format, and you can basically deploy – any of your existing applications today, with right now a couple of limitations. Uh, the first one that we really, really know about is um, Windows Services. Um, so Windows Services won't be able to convert um, at this time. We're actually looking to do some work down the road to to enable that, especially for a lot of our enterprise customers. Um, and then the other apps that we won't be able to, to bring over into MSIX uh, right now is drivers, uh, apps that actually have a, a driver as part of them. Uh, but again, we're looking at uh, how we can go and actually not necessarily deploy the driver with MSIX, but put a dependency on a driver with MSIX. Because for the most part, you know, the folks I had talked to that were doing driver work didn't really want to deploy the driver. They just had to deploy the driver. But if they could go service that independently of their app, they'd actually be a lot happier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the only way to get that chained installer, that dependency graph was, well, I just got to go bundle it myself. Um, so r- right now, if you're as long as you're not using a service or a driver, um, You'll be able to convert over, and then longer term, we're looking at ways to even enable those to try to get all apps uh, into the format.
0: Okay. And and if and if I do have an existing installer, like what it, what is my motivation then for for switching over to this new format?
2: So uh, a few things. So again, uh, you're just getting a better experience for your customers. The not only are you getting this clean uninstall, you're actually getting just a, a faster install time. Uh, the text faster. Um, it's a lot easier to use. If you're um, say you're building a couple apps as well and maybe you're using common controls and it's a shared DLL across those. Um, when you're deployed via MSIX, we're actually single instance storing all the files on the device. So again, like maybe I have, you know, you know building a, a head tracks app where I'm you know, tracking human resources and then I have an expense app and a lot of those are using same files. Um, the first time I deploy it, that file gets deployed to the device. The second time, we're actually smart enough to know the files there, and we just hard link in the file system over to that. So now there's less disk space on your user. The the first install was already faster from our deployment format. The second install is even faster because we're not redeploying files that are already on the the operating system. So there's a lot of benefits there. Um, And then another feature that makes it just another reason to move forward is um, differential updates. So... Today with like an MSI, generally you go and you install your MSI. And if you get an update, you download that entire MSI again, you launch it, it upgrades itself. And it, you know, might just copy the files that have changed, but you downloaded that whole MSI to the device, which is, you know, could be megs or hundreds of megs of footprint. Um, with MSI X, um, if I'm doing an update... Uh, we know the files that are already deployed the device and we track everything in a, a block map. I'll talk about that in a sec. And based on the block map, we'll actually only download the file differences that have changed and install those. Um, So this block map that I just talked about is basically a hash of all the files in the package. So based on the files that we know are on the operating system or even the hashes that have changed, we can be smarter about what we're actually downloading to the client and bringing down on the device um, and really speeding those update times on, on the app. So, you know, I might have a hundred 200 meg app that I just had a security fix in it. And it's like a two meg fix. My users don't have to download that 200 meg. They can just get that, you know, small security fix, you know, uh, download it and you know the operating system will know how to go and uh, update that app just on that file size change that's awesome that's, so it,
0: that's great so, if you're in an rv yeah that's <laughs> yeah. exactly what i was gonna say oh yeah <laughs> go ahead carl that's what you were gonna say I, yeah <laughs> that's funny
2: so no, and it's actually, it's actually great you say that because you yeah. know i do i do talk to like especially right now i've been talking to a lot of enterprise customers and there's folks that are like hey you know Maybe I'm a bank and I'm running off a satellite link, right? And right. like, man, my satellite link has one purpose in life. It's to do transactions for the bank. The fact that my app <laughs> needs an update is just kind of a side effect. And how do I keep that bandwidth usage that's not transactions kind of down? Exactly. And, you know, that's just one example. But there's tons of people that have that type of thing going on. Yeah. For so me, when, it's you, when you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. Getting an app update. You don't want to lose a fortnight. Like, exactly. Totally get that. <laughs> Raygun
1: provides full-stack error, crash, and performance monitoring for tech teams. Whether you're a software engineer looking to diagnose and resolve issues with greater speed and accuracy, a product manager drowning in bug reports, or you're just concerned you're losing customers to poor quality online experiences, Raygun can provide you with the answers. Get full-stack error and performance monitoring in one place. The next time you're struggling to replicate errors and performance issues in your code base, think Raygun head over to raygun.com. Get up and running within minutes and dramatically improve the online experiences of your users. When you're talking about enterprise customers, like another thing I can think of is, you know, they tend to like, if an application's working, they just want to keep using that and they might not even have the source code for that app anymore. Is, can MSIX help companies that want to deploy these apps with these newer capabilities but don't have the ability to like, recompile and repackage their their code?
2: Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. So, you know, we've we've had a few different technologies that allowed you to kind of you know, move your uh, apps forward. but And our most recent one was the desktop bridge and the desktop app converter. But that required you to go and make code changes. Um, one of the things we've invested in with MSIX is this other concept called the package support framework. And what that does is if if as you go and repackage and anything we do with like the virtual file system or the virtual registry might break your app, it's a way for us to go and you know, fix up the app uh, dynamically, you know, so that you don't actually have to go and recompile it. Um, cause the worst thing that can happen is, and you know, you brought that up with enterprises is I've talked to customers and they're like, Hey, I got this app through, you know, I bought half of a company and they gave me the app and I need it for supportability, but they wouldn't give me the source code because I am not buy their whole company or something like that. So this is a way that you can actually go and take advantage of this, like cleaner installer or more efficient installer. Um, and if you don't have the source code, you know we're actually going to go and provide a bunch of these uh, package support frameworks. But the other cool thing about the the PSF is we're going to go and put it out on GitHub and open source it, so that if folks in the community, you know, have other fixups that they want to go do, they can go and submit those and share those, and it can be a more open way of doing this instead of Microsoft's you know older school traditional way of hey, whenever we release an OS, we'll give you new things. So a lot of our entire concept around MSIX is around getting more open and open source with the, the format and what we're doing with it and being transparent and letting people contribute and help evolve it with us.
0: Very cool. Very cool. So wh- what about, um, you know, if you're, if your company is using windows seven or, you know, basically an older version of windows, um, can, can they use this? And, and if so, is there a reason to use it?
2: Yeah, so uh, I'll start off with the answer right now is sort of, um, but really the longer-term answer is kind of yes, right? So Kevin Gallo briefly talked about this in the build keynote, Mm -hmm. is we're looking at investing in support to bring this down level to Windows 7. Um, We've already started the journey on this, and we've launched uh, an MSIX SDK out on GitHub. Uh, We launched it at Windows Developer Day earlier this year. And that open-sources the packaging format, and we've actually created... uh, package readers and package extractors that you can plug into your own app and uh, basically write your own custom installer to read the MSIX and extract it out on down-level Windows 7. Uh, we're, as Microsoft, looking to invest even more and provide a full solution that will allow me to go and uh, deploy these apps onto pre-Windows 10 devices, essentially. Yeah. Um, with the one caveat that uh, all the layers of containerization might not come backwards to Windows 7 with it, just because that required uh, some in-depth OS changes. Right. But the the real goal is, like, if if my code works on Windows 7 and Windows 10, and, you know, it's the same app that'll work both places. If I go and update to the MSX packaging format, that should be the only package I need to manage, right? I don't want to have all my developers or IT pros or whatever having two packages around because they have to think about, man, what else, what am I deploying to right now? Okay. Exactly. I, I need this package. Exactly.
1: So think, thinking about that a little bit further and knowing that like .NET core can run on, on kind of Mac and Linux as well. And with this, upcoming .NET Core 3 support for, like, WinForms and WPF, Are is this technology uh, support Mac and Linux uh, now or in the future?
2: Yeah, actually, the, the open source SDK or the MSX SDK covers uh, Mac OS, Linux, Android, and iOS. Now, when I say Android and iOS, people are like, yeah, yeah, I have an I app that I runs on all it's those <laughs> things. <laughs> but what's cool is you might have extensibility that does. So, you know, think about, like, maybe you just have, like, a a theme pack that regardless of what operating system you're running on, you can actually create a secondary package that's an MSIX that's a theme pack, host it once on your CDN, and regardless of the app that's using it, also access that. Um, So when we did the open sourcing and we created these package readers and package extractors uh, in the first phase, we designed it so that regardless of the OS that you're using, we made it available to you.
0: Okay, very cool.
1: So... Another thing that I know like uh, developers are really interested in is, is this something that I can like uh, integrate with my uh, CI CD pipeline so I can just get this automated and have this package sitting as an artifact at the end?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we actually, if you're you know building for windows right now, we launched in the Maybe one or two Windows Insider previews ago, the the SDK to go and do all the tooling for this. Uh, so the ability to just uh, generate these packages can be done from your build system automatically. Um, we we do that today with uh, some of the apps that we're building. So you know, I just hit build and it's outputted. Um, you know, and they, we can actually direct publish to our CDN. We direct publish to our store today with it, um, and that's how we go and do it.
0: Okay, and then you mentioned earlier you were talking. You mentioned IT pros versus developers, and then yeah. I know that you talked a lot of build too about uh, this tech for IT pros. So, like, what what is geared toward IT pros? Like, what what kind of features are you looking at for that audience?
2: So, a, a couple of things. I'll, I'll start in the beginning just to, to give a little history here, because most developers don't get that when they hand off their app. The IT pro probably, I'll say, seventy percent being generous, it might even be closer to 90%, go and repackage the knowing and trusted loving installer that you built. Um, and they go and repackage it for a few different reasons. It's either A, maybe the installer really didn't work very well and they're trying to repackage it, get the success rate up. Uh, but more than importantly, they're probably doing some layer of customization for their enterprise. Um, and it could be things like putting a custom banner in there or you know maybe setting a default server or something like that to make it ready so that their users don't have to do anything when it's deployed to the device. Um, so from an IT pro perspective, um, you know, if there's an old installer and it's not being uh, developed on anymore, they can just go convert it without any code changes. But for IT pros that want to go and customize the app, we don't want them to you know, change the MSIX that was produced. We created this other concept that we call a modification package. And the IT pro can go and take and do all their customization and put it in this modification package. And what they do is they go and deploy that to the device with the app. Um, And they, you know, set a parameter or two that the the two things are linked. And then when the app launches at runtime, that actually merges the two packages and appears like it's one app. Uh, So it gives them the flexibility to do all the customization that they would do before uh, without having to change the original developer MSIX.
1: So... I'm assuming in the past, then there was like when they wanted to do this, a developer might need to go along and do something to help make this a little bit easier for the IT pro. And now they can just kind of do that without needing any developer assistance.
2: Yeah, and it, it, yeah, exactly. And in some cases, sometimes the IT pro would do it without the developer knowing. Um, and then they'd go back when like an installer would break and then the developer would be like, that's not my installer. What did you do to me? <laughs> right? So it, it's a way to like try to keep the, you know, hey, if the developer has an installer, they know it's there, it works, they can go and support it easily. And for these IT pros that need this extra layer of customization or any of these changes, it's a way for them to go and manage that independently of breaking what the developer's done.
1: Cool. So I, I was digging around in some of the documentation for MSIX and noticed that it said that um, it installs per user. So as a developer, I I might want this available to everybody on a machine. Is that possible to do?
2: Yeah, actually. So by uh, by default, everything installs per user, and all the apps are always going to be there for. Uh, per user for an app data perspective. Uh, but what you can do is there's a concept that we call provisioning on Windows Desktop. And you can go in and uh, provision these apps or install for all users. And then whenever a user logs on, we'll register that instance for them, you know, create their own private app data folder. Um, and it'll be you know available with one copy of the bits on the box, but all the users will have it. And we do this today with, uh, if you're using Windows 10 and maybe you're using like the weather app or the mail app, Every user that logs on gets that app, um, but it's provisioned in such a way that um, it has that experience.
1: So is that why, like, when I uh, log on uh, a new user that it says, like, hold on, we're taking care of a few things for you?
2: Yeah, that's That's one of the the things that's happening there. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Okay, and then – oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, and that part's gotten a lot faster because we listened to a bunch of feedback from the early days of Windows 10.
0: <laughs> well, my feedback is I want everything faster. <laughs>
2: no. Yeah, no, no, like actually, <laughs> no, perf is one of the things where we've gotten a lot of feedback on it. We actually spent a lot of time focusing on. Um, and that's like when I even talked about the installer stuff, the the ability to get the apps on the device mm-hmm. really quick is one of the things to do. Um, one of the other things that I probably didn't call out, but you know, it's kind of interesting you bring up quicker is uh, when we go and update an app, we actually lay the bits down side by side, you know, using hard links and everything so that when the app's being updated, it doesn't need to take down the original app until you want to switch over to it. So you can actually go and stage all the bits for that update side by side, um, again, we won't duplicate any of those files. So, you know, take Office um, for Windows 10 S. Office is shipping in our store using some of the MSX technology. If you go get an app update to Office, it's silently getting all those bits on the device. And then when it needs to switch over, it's really just a few seconds uh, when the app shuts down on the next relaunch that it changes over.
0: That is super cool. And then, so how does that work? Can I can I do that as a developer? Can I have an MSIX and then, and then somehow put a pointer to that in the store?
2: Uh, so can you actually – you can deep link to the, the product description page into the okay. store um, as a developer, and then uh, Windows Update will actually silently go and do all those updates for you if the user has acquired it from the store.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Carl, because I, I, I think we wanted to get a, kind of the relationship there. Go ahead, Carl. No, I
1: was just going to ask the next thing. Um, so if you want to dig into this.
0: No, I, I I just is I just wondered if there was any additional relationship between MSIX and and the store at all, or if they're if they're just separate technologies.
2: Yeah, so uh, MSIX is a technology that can be distributed via our store, but MSIX okay. is not limited to our store. Um, okay, we have yeah, built yeah, it yeah. in That's such a way that you can. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we've built it in such a way that you can. You know, obviously, we think our store is a great place to host things. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you get CDN covered for you, it replicated around the world. Totally great, but if that's not the place for you, you can easily host these on your own uh, websites. And we have a whole workflow that's integrated to give you all these optimizations directly over um, HTTP, HTTPS uh, for installations. And when we talk to our enterprises or even our developers alike. It's like, hey, sometimes the store isn't the right place for you, and you know, I need to host it on this specific server, uh, maybe for access control reasons or whatever other reasons.
1: Mm-hmm. So uh looking at non-store uh deployed MSIX apps uh, how does auto updating work cuz you mentioned that was one of the features of it and i remember back to like the click once days where like it tried auto deploying to my website and it would just create this kind of gnarly gobbledygook for me. Uh, So how does that work now with
2: MSIX? Yeah, so what we did is, uh, and we're finishing up some of the work in our upcoming release, but I'll talk about it in both phases. Uh, So we introduced this concept that we call as an app installer file. And it's really just a a manifest file that you host on your website with a little bit of information about the app and then a link to the the, uh, MSIX you want to install, plus the update cadence. Uh, There's a few different update patterns that we offer. There's just uh, silently in the background uh on launch only and then uh what we're going to introduce in the upcoming release is blocking updates uh so depending on how you configure that you know it might you know once a day in the background while the users you know away from their pc go and check for updates and auto-update it, similar to like what Windows Update would do, but directly from your own uh, CDN. Or you know if it's an app that's not used a lot, you can just have it on launch, go and check, so you're not constantly pinging servers all the time to see if there's updates. Um, or if you know maybe you're an enterprise, it's an HR app, and it's super important that you always have the last version, like click once, um, we're introducing that blocking update so when the user launches the app, if there's an app update, it'll prompt them and say, hey, there's a newer version you need to go get, and then they click install, and then it goes and pulls it down.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. Um, so what is the availability of this? Like, is, is this available today? Because you mentioned there's, like, a couple different phases. So, I mean, what, what's out now, and what's a right around the corner?
2: Yeah. So um, what we started with is uh, we, we did build a bunch of this off the desktop bridge technology. So today, available today, at least in um, the 1803 version of Windows, is... Um, if you're using the desktop bridge, which will require some code changes, you could take advantage of some of this auto update and this web install with .appx format. Um, and then uh, starting, which I assume it'll be called our September you know, 1809 release, uh, we'll go and introduce that blocking update feature with the uh, the full MSIX. Um, and as long as you have the newest version of the OS, um, it'll it'll just work. It's all built off of our app installer app. Uh, from a UX perspective. So that's part of the, it's shipped as part of the OS. And for anything that we uh, need to update on it longer term, it's a, it's an app that's store serviceable via. So we actually keep trying to ship updates to the experience to improve it over time as well.
1: And what kind of tooling support uh, can we expect uh, both today and in the future for MSIX? Because I remember back uh, for Project Centennial, it started off pretty rough, but uh, nowadays it's it's pretty simple.
2: Yeah. So uh, from a tooling support perspective that Microsoft's offering, um, we're going to have an MSX packaging tool and that uh, we should have a public preview sometime in July. Uh, so really close to right now. And then uh, we'll have a, a full release of that, you know, towards the September, October timeframe. Um, and then the SDK, if you just want to do all this via command line automation is already available in the windows insider preview. And then we've also been working with all the major uh, packaging companies um, and there was some featured at the build keynote and they're going to be adding, you know, uh, support to their tools as well for MSIX. So, and I think a few of those folks, uh, I don't remember which one's off the top of my head have already launched previews that support MSIX in their tooling.
0: Cool. Yeah, this is, this is really cool technology. So I'm I'm kind of curious then is this like, is this the technology to use? Like if you're, if you're trying to figure out what type of tech you want to use to distribute your app now, obviously there's, there's the store path, but if we sort of exclude that, if you have a desktop application that you want to get to your users, is this the, you know, officially recommended installer path?
2: Yeah, this is absolutely the way we think uh, you should be installing apps moving forward. Okay. I mean, it's from a support perspective, it should be easier on the developer um, because you don't have to deal with, you know, building the MSI custom actions and all that. Um, it's really simple declarative, uh, the manifest. And then from the user's perspective, it's just way better. Um, I don't have the exact numbers of the MSI reliability off the top of my head, but I've generally heard um, it's somewhere in the mid-80s. Um, with uh, you know MSIX, you know, we uh, pin it into the 99.99% range, and we monitor that on a regular basis to make sure that we're um, always hitting the highest mark of success for uh, the technology. That's cool.
0: Um, anything else that you uh, that we didn't ask that you wanted to mention?
2: Um, I I think that's, you know, the most yeah. of it. I think, you know, I mean, that's the big plenty, things
0: trust are, me, like that's super yeah. cool.
2: <laughs> I think the big things are, is like for folks that are kind of interested in it, you know, right now is the best time to give us feedback. I mean, anytime is good to give us feedback, but yeah. we're going to be launching that packaging tool pretty shortly here. Um, and uh, we'll have some blog posts when it's available and it'll be a free preview. Everyone can download. Let us know what you think about it. Right. You know, we've, we've done some interesting UX that we think will simplify the workflow, but Hey, if it doesn't feel natural or anything, let us know about that. If you think there's features missing, uh, let us know. We're, we're really listening and trying to um, build the tech that people want instead of building the tech that we think that people want. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the cool things that I think we've done with a lot of what we're doing is is we're trying to decouple as much of MSIX from the operating system as possible. So like, if we look at the packaging tool, um, that's gonna completely ship, you know, obviously via our store uh, for easy updates, but it's not tied to an OS release. Um, I talked a little bit about that packaging support framework, you know, the ways to do the fix up so people don't have to change their code that's going to be open sourced and, you know, those can be dropped into MSIXs without us having to go and update the operating system. Um, and then we've done this cross platform SDK or the MSIX SDK. Again, that's completely shipped outside of the OS on GitHub. So it's giving us a lot of flexibility and we're trying to do more and more where just to get a new feature in MSIX, we don't want you to have to take a new OS update. Um, so, and make it, you know, like I said, it's, we want it to be the tech, but we know the tech can't keep requiring you to upgrade to use it.
0: Cool. Okay. Uh, Carl, what do you have for the Azure pick of the week?
1: Uh, There is now a new Azure Cosmos DB Explorer in that's public preview. Uh, So there's actually now a lot of ways that you can interact with uh, Cosmos DB and interact with your data. I know that the Azure Storage Explorer was updated earlier this year to provide the support, Uh, but you have to download and install an application for that. Now there's a web-based version that's based upon uh, exactly the functionality that's in the Azure portal for Cosmos DB. And you can find that at cosmos.azure.com. If you go there, uh, you'll be just asked for a
0: connection string, and then uh, you can just go in and start uh, exploring your data. I love that they did this, by the way. Like, I'm a huge advocate for these. You know, like, I understand the need for, like, an integrated portal, But I do love, you know, these tools that we know devs are going to be using on a regular basis. I love it whenever they are web-based, where you just go there. And I love the fact that you can just use a connection string and not have to do, like, your Azure Active Directory authentication. You know, so you could just – you have somebody – well, I don't know if I'd give this to somebody new working at the company. But my point is if you have, like – uh a person that has to do something in the database you can say here's your connection string go do it um i just love how lightweight and quick and simple it is to to do things that way um so i'm really glad that they did this and i'd like to see more of this um at some point there probably has to be a better way of like organizing all these separate tools um but i love that they they were one of the you know earlier teams that 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 did something like this you know cuz i built armviz and I had a lot of, I don't want to say pressure, but I had a lot of questions and I had a lot of people that wanted that, like integrating into the portal. And I've always been adamant that I, it, it, it you can use it without logging in. There's no reason to be logged in in my tool. Um, so I felt no need to ever put that in the portal. And I always wanted it to be a, a standalone tool that people can use. So I, I just like that this follows that same pattern. So, uh, John, where can uh, where can people find you?
2: Uh, so, you guys can find me on Twitter at J-V-I-N-T-Z-E-L. Um, okay. I'm fairly active on there. I uh, do my best. Sometimes I get a little distracted and I don't always check stuff, but uh, usually pretty good. <laughs> and then uh, we did launch a community to kind of help with interactions. Uh, folks from my product group uh, regularly monitor it. Now, right now it's a little quiet because, you know, we haven't launched a bunch of our big stuff yet. But you can get to that at aka.ms slash msixcommunity. Um, and like I said, the, the product group's listening there. So feedback that you guys have, questions that you guys have, uh, we're more than happy to hop on there and help you guys out.
0: That is super cool. Okay, Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash So, John, thank you so much for coming on here and talking about uh, how you've made installers sexy again.
2: Cool. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it.